Hello, welcome to History Time, a kids history and literature podcast. This is Claire Lambert, and today we're going to be reading a book. Um, so I was going to publish these on Fridays and do a first chapter Friday, but I think I'm going to publish it on Wednesday. So it's going to be a first chapter, whatever day of the week you're listening to this on. <laughs> um, so this book is called George Washington Carver, The Genius Behind the Peanut, and it's written by Camilla J. Wilson. Um, it's actually a scholastic biography that I bought for my classroom, uh, but I started reading it because I thought the title was just fantastic. Um, and as I was reading it, I was just amazed at some of the things that I was learning about George Washington Carver. So I wanted to share the book with you, and if you're interested in it, I'm sure they have it at your library or on the internet. Um, so the first chapter that I'm going to read, I'm only going to read the first chapter, but the first chapter, which I'm going to read, is called Kidnapped and Left for Dead. And this is a biography, so this is a true story. All right, here we go. The day the kidnappers came, George Washington Carver's mother just wouldn't let go. When the horses clattered up into the yard of the little one-roomed log shanty, as Carver later described the place he was born, Mary Carver was terror-stricken. This was the third time the bushwhackers had descended on the farm. Each time was more horrific than the time before. She snatched up her infant, George, and tried to run. Then they grabbed her. Rough men shouted and cursed. Horses reared and whinnied. Across the yard, Moses Carver managed to grab Mary's older son, Jim, and flee to the woods. Tears, shrieks, moans. They threw Mary, still clutching her baby, atop a horse and fled. None of the lives of the Carver family would ever be the same again. Being a slave had been only one of life's problems for the thin, sickly baby who now bounced along on a horse, kidnapped by ruffians, feeling his mother's terror even as she clutched him close. He had been born at a bad time in history, in an especially dangerous area, and into a slave-holding white family. Under the circumstances, there was little likelihood that the infant would survive. The American Civil War raged in Carver's neighborhood even as it pulled the nation apart. His mother had been purchased from a neighboring farm by a middle-aged German couple when she was only 13 years old. No one bothered to keep careful records of slave births or ages, so the exact date of Carver's birth is unknown. Carver himself repeatedly said he was born in 1864, shortly before the end of the Civil War, but some census records indicate he may have been born earlier. Moses Carver was a German settler who had moved to the southwestern corner of Missouri from Ohio and Illinois. He bought Mary, even though he considered himself to be anti-slavery and pro-union. Moses and Susan Carver had no children, and the nephews they'd raised had moved out and left them with no help. So Moses Carver hired a man to help him and then brought Mary, oh, bought Mary in 1855 to help Susan Carver. During the next nine years, Mary had two, perhaps four, children. Her oldest, Jim, was born in 1859, according to the tombstone Moses Carver later erected for the young man, who died in a smallpox outbreak in 1883 in Seneca, Missouri. George Washington Carver also referred, at times, to two sisters who died young. The farm was in a community that was known as Diamond Grove, named for a diamond-shaped group of trees where a settlement grew, not far from the Carver farm. The village had few structures, a blacksmith shop, a post office, a general store, and a church that also served as a school. Diamond Grove and the surrounding counties were particularly unsafe. 
Missouri was a border state located between the warring pro-slavery Confederate states to the south and the anti-slavery Union states to the north. Missouri was a slave-holding state, but large groups of European immigrants had moved into the state and helped to sway the vote to stay in the Union. This infuriated Missouri residents who backed the Confederacy. Roving bands of soldiers, both Confederate and Union, roamed southern Missouri and often clashed. Even families were divided over the war, with brother fighting brother. Sometimes troops took over towns, looted farms, killed or stole the livestock, and then moved on. Before long, a unit from the other side might show up and repeat the same actions. Farmers hid their cows and horses in the woods when they could, buried food and money, and tried their best to survive. Local settlers had plenty of differences even before the Civil War began. Several families often moved into an area and staked out the adjoining farms. They wrote letters back to where they came from, often making the new land sound better than it was, and before long other family members and old neighbors might arrive. People from Ohio and Illinois pioneered the area north of Diamond Grove. German, Swiss, and Polish immigrants lived in the central area of the region, while southerners from Tennessee lived in the south. In addition, three widely varying states were within 25 miles of the Carver farm, and the problems common to each state frequently spilled over into the Carver's little corner of Missouri. First, there was Arkansas, a slave-holding state that had left the Union to join the Confederacy. Second, there was Kansas, a free state during the war, but which had been settled by groups of violent people who often battled one another over the slavery issue and then fled over state lines. Finally, there was Oklahoma, the Indian Territory, where U.S. law did not apply and bands of outlaws roamed free. They probably caused the most trouble of all. With men often away in either the Confederate or the Union armies, robbers preyed on the farms where women, older family members, and children were trying to survive. They kidnapped women and children. They stole horses and looted homesteads. If they found slaves, they rounded them up and stole off with them. They could sell slaves for a high price in Arkansas. Moses Carver was a particular target in the community. Many of his neighbors were annoyed with him. He kept to himself. He did not like organized religion. He owned slaves, Mary and her children, yet he opposed slavery and supported the Union in the Civil War. Thus, he offended Unionists by owning slaves, and he offended slaveholding supporters by being a Union man. Moreover, Moses Carver was a prosperous farmer, and he was known to have money. Bandits came calling at the Carver farm at least three times. The second time, they almost killed him. In 1863, during the fall or winter, bushwhackers showed up at the Carver farm and demanded all his money. When Moses Carver refused to cooperate, the ruffians strung him up to a tree. They then placed hot coals on his feet. Eventually, the men searched the farm and left. But the Carver family lived in terror. They were sure the scoundrels would be back. And in 1864, not long after Mary delivered her new baby, George, the bushwhackers came again. This time, they were after slaves whom they could take to the nearby slaveholding state of Arkansas or sell the soldiers of either Union or Confederate armies, both of which also had units in the area. Moses Carver said he heard horses and then screams. He managed to grab Mary's older son, Jim, and they hid. Mary and George were not so lucky, as they were thrown onto the horse and taken away. I was stolen, a wee babe in her arms, George Washington Carver would say much later in life. Moses Carver did everything he could to get Mary and baby George back. 
He hired a local man with contacts in outlaw gangs to go after the two. Carver offered the pursuer land and a racehorse if he succeeded. Eventually, the man came back with the baby in a saddlebag. The child was nearly dead, racked with whooping cough. The thieves had discarded the baby, leaving it with some woman along the way. They had taken Mary south towards Arkansas, he informed Car- Moses Carver. Later, the Carvers heard rumors that the bandits might have sold Mary to soldiers going north. Regardless, she was gone forever from her children. Heartsick, Moses Carver paid the rescuer with a fine racehorse and handed the filthy bundle of rags over to his wife, Susan. Susan Carver took the infant into the Carver cabin, where she'd taken his brother Jim after the kidnapping. She warmed some milk for the baby and slowly nursed the child back from death's door. It was the beginning. First chapter of this book, um, that's again George Washington Carver, The Genius Behind the Peanut by Camilla J. Wilson. Um, and just before I end, I want to read the table of contents to you so you get an idea of what other information is in this book. So that was chapter one, Kidnapped and Left for Dead. The other chapters are called In Dirt There is Life, Chin at 11, The Prairie Years, Winterset and Simpson College, Iowa State University, A Vision to Serve My People, Looking for Ways to Help the Poorest, Teaching Congress a Lesson, and enlarging the human spirit. And there's a afternote with George Washington Carver's recipes, which, like I said, I have not finished this book, but there is some really interesting stuff that I've gotten to. Um, You heard some of it in the first chapter. Um, Some of it's alluded to in these uh, chapter names, but basically he told his owners, I guess, they were more like his parents, um, that he was heading out and he's going to go to school in a different town and he's going to find a job and live there and That was at age 11. So at age 11, he set off and began his life. Um, And then later in his life, he had a lot of hardships that he had to face, including, you know, discrimination. Um, He had a lot of trouble finding a place where he could just go to school because there wasn't any in the area. So he kept having to walk around and look for places that would take him. Um, But I'm hoping to do a longer episode on him once I finish this book. So you might be hearing more soon about George Washington Carver, the genius behind the peanut. This has been History Time, a children's history and literature podcast. Again, this is Claire Lambert. Um, And if you want to suggest another book to read or another story we could tell, send me an email. The podcast email is historystorytime at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.